Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. The Seahawks have a lot of big decisions to make this offseason, but potentially none bigger than what they're going to do at pick number 16. NFL.com draft analyst Lance Zerline joins us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Lance, how's it going? Going well. How are you guys doing? We're fantastic. Uh, Obviously, we've had a a fun day of some spring training stuff uh, to talk about, but we are diving deep on the Seahawks, and they have a really interesting offseason ahead. Before they even get to the draft, they need to kind of figure out what they want to do with Geno Smith. Um, They may still keep him and then draft a quarterback. So let's start with the quarterback class this year. Lance, I'm assuming Caleb Williams is going to be long gone by the time pick 16 rolls around, but who could be available? Well, I think that the way it's shaking out, my guess is that uh, four quarterbacks are going to be off the board by the time Seattle picks. Um, You know, the the order, I think, I personally think it's going to lock in at Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels. Um, Then I think it's going to be interesting to see if it's Drake May or um, J.J. McCarthy that goes next. I think the guy who you would have seen some in in Oregon out that way, at least, uh, Bo Nix, could be available at 16 now. You know, we know Seattle has uh, a very well-known history of trading back, and you could still potentially trade back and land Bo Nix if you want a quarterback. You might not have to do it with pick number 16. I don't think Michael Penix goes in the first. I just think the injury concerns um, and the, the background of his injury, the history and the medicals, I think that's going to be too big a concern for a lot of teams. Plus, the tape was a little uneven at times. Uh, he's not very good outside of the pocket when he's on the move, but um, but that doesn't mean that Seattle couldn't target him uh, outside of the first round. So I think if you're looking at 16, my guess is Bo Nix will be available. My, it's also my guess that I will be the fourth quarterback uh, or that four will already be off the board. And I just, I don't know if I see Seattle sitting there taking the fifth quarterback off the board, unless they have a really high grade on them. Um, because otherwise I just think, you know, you'll trade back at draft capital and then if a player's still there, you like a quarterback, you take him then after you've added some draft capital. So that's my guess is how that could play out. Lance, I look at this um, this defense, and I imagine what uh, Mike McDonald can do. Over there with the Baltimore Ravens, he had himself a pair of inside linebackers that were phenomenal. Um, Jordan Brooks, I feel like, can fit what he wants to do. But after that, I'm looking, I'm saying, that room's looking thin as heck, man. And um, mm-hmm. I, I look at the number 16 and I go, well, they should probably go with the best available guy on defense. But um, I'm looking at LBs. Any LBs that, uh, that, that caught your eye? No, not, not in the first round. It's, it's not a great year for linebacker, unfortunately. So I think if you're looking for linebackers, it's really not going to be in that round. So there's really, you know, you, you do want to go find best available defensively. A lot of times defensive coach, head coaches, though, will kind of put pressure on, on GMs to draft on the other side of the ball because their thought is, I can, find, I can find what will fit my system. I don't have to have the highest drafted player. You know, we can, we can, we can find the guys that will make some sense. So um, I, it wouldn't shock me if, if McDaniel was, or McDonald rather was fine getting out of the, you know, making the first-round pick a, a, an offensive pick just because he knows what he's doing there. But I do think there's some talented players inside junior Colson, uh, Michigan, I think is more of a second rounder. I think Jeremiah Trotter from, you know, the son of, of Jeremiah Trotter is from Clemson. 
is going to be a very smart player who is going to go uh, probably in the late second to early third. Ezra Cooper is a linebacker from Texas A&M that has some talent that could go uh, second or third. But it's just not a great year. If you need linebacker, you ain't doing it in the first round. Not not an inside backer, that's for sure. Is there a player that you're projecting as a mid to late round player that you're especially curious about where he lands? Um, I would say, oh, that's a good question. Well, the, you know, I have higher grades on some players than other people do. And then what I'm really curious about, that curiosity will be, let me put it this way. My curiosity will be peaked once I see the heights, weights, speeds, uh, athletic profiles of the players. That's when I'll become much more curious about where guys will land because there will be a little better uh, understanding of what we're working with from a physical profile and an athletic profile, then it turns into, you know, you think about what's on tape, the strengths, the weaknesses. Um, and, and some guys, you know, every single year this happens where I have to, I have to differentiate between how, you know, what a player's weaknesses are, what he does well, and then where the scheme, you know, who might be willing to jump up and get a guy. I think if I had to have one guy that I'm most interested in, in terms of the conversation that we're having now, I'd say probably, um, probably Graham Barton, an offensive lineman out of Duke. He can play tackle, guard, or center. And really, he's a fit at guard or center. But he's one of the ones I'm most interested in. And then the other one would probably be Tyler Guyton, a tackle from Oklahoma. Uh, I think he could shoot way up the board into the into the top 18, 19. But he also, he's a little bit raw, so he could fall into the, the mid-20 range. So that one's, that one's another interesting one for me. And then also... Uh, Troy uh, Faltanu, uh, mm. Faltanu from uh, Washington. You know, he's he's gonna to me. He's gonna be a guard. I don't think they'll keep him at tackle. But the left tackle from Washington is very physical, very broad player. Uh, fits the physical profile and, and nastiness of an NFL guard. I'm curious to see where teams have him. I have him as a late first, but I have a funny feeling that he may sneak up a little higher than that. Lance, a lot of the times for for quarterbacks, the combine is a formality, right? You got your top five guys, and you'll see where they land. Obviously, Caleb Williams um, heads this class in 2024. But is there a quarterback that people aren't really talking about? Because I look at the Seahawks and I go, okay, they might draft a quarterback, but probably later on in the draft, we shall see. It's only happened twice as John Schneider being the, the GM. But is there a quarterback you feel like isn't getting a lot of hype but can sneak on a roster? You know, I, I, that is one. It's a little incomplete for me because there's two quarterbacks I need to watch right like this week to get ready for combine. It's uh, Keaton Slovis, who formerly played at, at USC, and then, of course, uh, Jordan Travis, who's at Florida State. And I tell you, Travis is an interesting one because he was a guy that had some Heisman Trophy hype for a while, and then he got injured, and we know famously uh, Florida State fell out of the, the, the contention for the national championship after his injury. But honestly – I don't hear anyone talking about him. I mean, everyone, he's really out of sight, out of mind to the point that I wasn't even sure he was in the draft. And so I saw the combine list that that's still one of the guys that I need to write up. And so it's been very, very quiet on the Jordan Travis front. So if there's one guy, you know, it's not going to be a good year to find somebody outside of once you're past Michael Penix, I'm not a believer in uh, Spencer Rattler from South Carolina. I don't think he's a guy, Devin Leary. I could throw some names at you. You wouldn't care, and I don't think it's going to matter. But I do think that Jordan Travis is the one guy who is, for me, I want to get through his tape, but he's just quietly flying way under the radar due to his injury. 
And I'm really curious to see what the tape looks like this week when I get to study him. So he's one to at least keep in mind. Yeah, really rooting for him. Speaking of Michael Penix, he's so confusing for me. I mean, I know that we have bias here in Seattle, Lance, where especially Mm -hmm. after the Sugar Bowl, people were like, oh, my God, this guy could be a top five pick. And then, of course, you have not only the national championship game, but kind of rumors about maybe scouts and front offices not being quite as high on him. How do you view Penix? Well, so when you watch the tape, so what I do is I'll go watch all your touchdowns, your interceptions. But I really start with uh, I start with the deep throws. Then I work to the intermediate throws, which I think are pro throws. I think the interesting thing right off the bat is that the concept that Grubb ran was unbelievable. Just great passing scheme. I just finished watching Jalen McMillan. And once again, I was in awe of the passing scheme. And, and I think it was very beneficial to the wide receivers and to Penix. Uh, because he was able to throw into open spaces so often. But I do want to say, you know, despite the injuries, Michael Penix really improved from his time at Indiana to Washington. He's become a more accurate passer. I think there are times like the Texas game where his touch is just phenomenal. I mean, maybe the best pure passing game I saw all year long. He was brilliant in that game. The problem with Michael Penix is the Michigan game. Once you heat him up, uh, it, you know, he doesn't take a lot of sacks. He's good at getting rid of the football. But once you heat Michael Penix up, it really gets muddy for him, and it, it's a problem. Once he has to move his feet and get outside the pocket, his completion percentage just plummets into the 20s. And that's a real concern because the NFL doesn't – NFL teams just don't let you sit there and do whatever you want in the pocket. That, that's just not going to happen. So I think the concern about Penix is that when he's allowed to throw, he's got a quick delivery. He can deliver the ball with good touch. He's got uh, a, a nice catchable ball with a tight spiral and, and at times can be really good with the placement. But the flip side of that is that I think it needs to be a little clean, like really clean for him. I think the right pieces need to be around him. And then there were times he just relied on Polk and McMillan and especially at Dunze where he just had one-on-one matchups. He saw pressure and he just threw it up in the air and for a jump ball. And he knew his guys had a better chance of winning. That's not, you know, there's a, there's a, there's not a great, chance that his wide receivers are going to have such an advantage on the corners like he did at Washington. So I think the, the biggest concern with him is can he play off structure? Can he play against a rush if the offensive line is not a Joe Moore award-winning offensive line like he had at Washington? And, you know, and how do his medicals come out? And that's going to be a huge one. That's one you can't get around. But I think he has day two talent. I don't think he'll go in the first round, but I do think in the right situation, Michael Penix could end up being an NFL starter. I'm glad you brought up Roma Dunze. Uh, me being a, a former receiver, I always look at receiver play and, and pick the guys I like. Mm-hmm. And, and the two biggest names I feel like are Marvin Harrison and Rome, right? Um, I look well, hold at. On. Before, we go, before we go any further, what do you look for in a wide receiver? Uh, one, I look to see how they attack leverage. If they understand what, what they're looking at, they're setting up their routes. Do they have a plan and do they understand what they're looking at? And then I look at just playmaking ability. Your, your job description is to grab the football out the air. Like, can you make a play that you're not supposed to make? Um, technique, body control. I mean, you know, just, uh, the foundation of being a, of, of being a receiver because, some guys are just good enough to where they can find space, you get it to them, and they make a play. Whereas other guys, you look at their offense, you got to be able to move guys out their spots and be a bit more of a technician. So I look at I look at Rome and his offense, and I go, he can be a technician, but it didn't require him to be a technician. It's kind of like right. you just go up and make the play. Then I look at Marvin Harrison, and I go, you can see the technique in Marvin Harrison, right? He's polished up, you know his pedigree, and you know what happens at Ohio State. 
Um, when you look at those two, um, who has a strength um, in, in some area and, and another guy? Like, what's the difference between those two guys, and what are their strengths? Well, I mean, you nailed it. I think with Marvin Harrison, it is he, you know, he's the son of a former wide receiver who is a great wide receiver. So he, he comes with a lot of polish. He is a technician. He can attack leverage. He does show an ability to get out of his breaks uh, with pretty good quickness. Now, I don't think he's the most explosive. The most explosive receiver in the draft is Malik Neighbors to me. Right. But um, when it comes to being the most polished, it's definitely Marvin Harrison Jr. I think the ball skills are good, like you talked about. The route running is above average and headed in the right direction to being very good. And he just has a feel for being a pro. Good feet around the boundary. When you look at Roma Dunze, you, and I'm glad you mentioned it and, uh, and that you see it as well. He kind of cruises sometimes. Like he knows he's going to win the jump ball. You don't really have much of a chance. And I heard that he went and worked on rebound drills with the basketball teams to really uh, tighten up body control and a feel for you know body positioning. Um, when the ball goes up, I mean, he 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 completed over sixty percent of con- contested catches. That is a he was uh, I think I want to say he was twenty one of thirty that or twenty of thirty. That is an astounding number. First of all. I don't think he should have had that many that were contested. I think sometimes he just kind of cruises because he's not afraid to get into that jump ball battle. Once a team really gets on him and a wide receivers coach says, hey, we need you to start doing this with your route running. The first mistake I I made in in my evaluation stuff 10 years ago was worrying too much about route running. That's coachable. Unless a guy can't get in and out of breaks because of tightness with the hips and all that stuff or the lack of agility or lack of burst. You know, if he, right. if he has the ability to do it, he's going to do it. He's going to get a lot better. <laughs> that mistake I made was on Tyreek Hill, by the way, where I was worried <laughs> about his route running. I mean, what an idiot that I am for that. But so I learned that, look, Adunze is going to be able to run routes a lot better. What I love is when the ball's up, he is a dog and he has a great feel, great instincts for where he needs to be. Anybody who's played basketball understands that rebounding is about instincts off the rim and where the body positioning needs to be. He's got that. Uh, the hands are extremely strong. And if you look at, you know, I'm in Houston. I remember when DeAndre Hopkins was drafted and the question was, well, he's a four, five, 40 guy. Uh, you know, can he run routes and get open though? They're special players who are going to carve out the catch space and you're not going to beat him in that space. And he's one of those guys. And those guys not only make it in the league, my comp on him is Larry Fitzgerald because I see so much of his game. I think, could end up developing. He's going to run in a four fours. I think his game could truly develop into a Larry Fitzgerald type of game. Lance, we look to your uh, your comps and your write ups on these guys always during draft season. So it's always very cool to put a voice to the name. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Lance. Sure, I've been a pleasure joining you guys. Thanks for having me. See ya. That was NFL.com draft analyst Lance Zerline. If you guys go look up, um, you know your combine profiles or anything like that, you're almost always going to see Lance's name there, mm-hmm. especially for those comps. Look, I, Lance admitted it himself; he doesn't always get it right. But he is great at what he does. Really oh, yeah. awesome to hear that insight. I like that he asked you what you see. That's someone who knows. That's someone who loves his job being like, wait, this is someone who played. This is this is information <laughs> I can get. Did you feel like he reinforced your uh, no one knows wide receivers better than Bump? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I felt like we were on the same page with evaluations of I both dudes. I think you were. Yeah. All right, let's get to four down territory. This is Four Down Territory, going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, as you watch more film and digest Super Bowl 58, what name keeps popping up? Hey, showing love to the dogs today. Trent McDuffie is going to be the best nickel 
corner in this league for the next five years. It's legit. 40 cover snaps he had in the Super Bowl, seven targets, zero first downs, nine yards. That's it. I watched him cover Debo Samuel, and Debo's a big boy, right? He's only like six foot, but he's like 215, and his body is just different. He has great body control, and McDuffie was all on his hip all night every time he uh, he lined up over him, man. But the thing that stuck out to me, I knew he was good in cover skills, but there was a play where Trent Williams tried to get on the second level and block him, and uh, and and McDuffie olayed him and makes a tackle. Ooh, I go, that is a Trent. versatile Trent on Trent crime. Yeah. That is a <laughs> really versatile is. type of player right there, man. Uh, just look up some of the, the highlights you see on Twitter. This kid is good. Like, I knew he was good coming into this game, but to perform the way he has on this level and hold it down with him and Sneed and Reed over there and Chris Jones, goodness gracious, this Chiefs defense ain't going nowhere. And they just extend, extended uh, Spagnolo. Yeah. Goodness gracious, man. But Trent McDuffie, man, big ups to uh, to that kid. I don't know why you're so hesitant to give love to U-Dub I'm when we hesitant. know you love the dogs. Uh, I okay. want U-Dub to win wow. the Apple Cup Go dogs <laughs> that's great I got, just, hey don't one of my don't believe it of don't time. believe the hype one of my favorite unedited clips a, of y'all, all time. y'all gonna make me stop giving love to these dogs okay remember these dogs <laughs> and giving love and we'll work that one <laughs> later matt second Trump says he believes in bigfoot but not that clip of his own <laughs> that's voice weird. that's kind of weird. weird what division has the best young talent at quarterback uh let's go to the uh the afc south man um, we know the divisions that they got the big dogs in it, right? In the division with Pat Mahomes, obviously. You got Russell Wilson over there for now in the AFC West. You also have Justin Herbert. You go to the AFC East. You got Josh Allen. You got Tua. You got Aaron Rodgers over there. You go to the NFC East. You got Dak. Show him some love. I get it. All right. You got Jalen Hurts. But I'm looking at the AFC South, and I'm saying, look, you got a proven rookie already in C.J. Stroud. You got Anthony Richardson, who we barely saw this year. Trevor Lawrence, who didn't have a a great year, but had a horrible year. And then you have Will Levis, Mr. Mayonnaise himself. I'm looking at the AFC South, and I'm saying there's some young talent. You're always looking for the next wave of guys, right? The the first six guys that I name, they are the league. They are the faces of the league. They will carry this league for five to ten. But then you're going to have to have some young guys kind of follow or ride the wave and keep this thing going. The AFC South might have those guys over there, man. So uh, I'm looking at the AFC South. I want to say all these guys are 25 and younger. Anthony Richardson might even be younger than that. But uh, the South has a lot of promise over there. I'm anxious to see how that all turns out. Very interesting. And then interesting on the other side is the NFC South where you're like, wait, so Baker Mayfield, maybe Derek Carr, who and who? Like it's, I mean, obviously Bryce Young, but Mm -hmm. very weird contrast there. Third down. Does losing three Super Bowls make it fair when people say Shanahan can't win big games? All right, man. So Shanahan was asked that question. And he pretty much danced around it and said, no, we've won big games. But Shanahan's all about the Super Bowl. Great coach. Look at how he's lost. So in 2016, you're up 21-0 after a pick six. You're up 28-3 in the third quarter. Your next four possessions, punt, fumble, punt, punt. 44 yards on those last four drives, you lose that. The biggest collapse ever, we understand that. Mm-hmm. 2019, you're up 20 to 10 in the third quarter, okay? You get no points off of Mahomes' interception. Sounds familiar. You go five plays, 17 yards, punt. Three plays, five. Seven plays, 27. Two plays, zero, an interception. 49 yards of offense in the last four drives. Then you get to this year's Super Bowl. Miss PAT. Muffed a punt. Didn't score off an interception. Didn't score off a fumble. Now, you didn't capitalize on opportunities, but you did play well the last four drives. The last four drives, 12 plays, 75 yards, TD. 
Seven plays, 40 yards, field goal. You got one play that ended the game. Then you get an overtime. 13 plays, 66 yards and a field goal. 180 yards and 13 points. Here's the thing. You've lost three Super Bowls mm. in three different ways. You've lost it with the biggest collapse in the world. You lost it um, not putting together drives at the end of the game. And then you lost it not capitalizing on situations out there. I'm not saying Shanahan cannot win the big game, but I'm saying until you do, that's going to be part of who you are. I think Shanahan is one of the brightest minds in NFL. He's only 44 years old. I think he's going to be back to a Super Bowl eventually, but uh, this one stings. Can they win the big game? I think they can. Have they? No. So until you win that game, right? Remember when Steve Young, maybe you don't because you were like two when it happened, Stacey. Steve Young won a Super Bowl in 1994, the last time we saw the Niners win a Super Bowl. And the first thing he did was, man, get that monkey off my back. Mm -hmm. Because until you win the big game, that's how people are going to remember you. So I think he's capable, but he's got to do something. And I guess it started with Wilkes getting uh, fired today. Oh, man. I was going to say fair point, and then I just thought scapegoat once again. Fourth down. <laughs> What's a good year for the Seahawks in 2024? Uh, let's just keep it real simple. Okay. We need that defense to be in the top half when it comes to overall defense. We need them to be in the top 10 when it comes to turnover, turnover differential. We also need this offense to be in the top 10, and you got to stay healthy. That's all I'm looking for. If you are competing for an NFC West title, good for you because you got the Niners and you got the Rams, and I'm still waiting to see what the Cardinals look like. If you are competing, that means you're winning 9, 10, maybe even 11 games. I think that's good enough for the first year. First year head coach. First year offensive coordinator, first year defensive coordinator. Lots of changes going down. So compete for the title, sneak into the playoffs, win 10 games, and I think you are in good shape. So I'm not asking for much. I think it can be done. I think it will be done, honestly. All right, coming up next, putting a bow on the 2024 NFL season and kicking off spring training. Plus, what I need to know coming your way at 45 after. You can get your questions in 866-979-3776. That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. So we're going to be talking about what stood out to us from our interview with Lance Zerline when we were talking about the Seahawks draft and about this class. Before we do, quickly, Curtis, I sent you a video that was trending, yeah. and I can't play it on my computer. It was during an interview, and also the sound airs, so I sent it to you, and I was like, what's happening here? I saw something trending out in, out in Titan's world uh, about how there was an embarrassing moment at a press conference. What happened? Yeah, so uh, Brian Callahan, new head coach, and I think their GM were given a press conference today. I don't know if it was like Callahan's introductory press conference or what have you, okay. uh, but a couple of media members are trying to like talk over another uh -huh. to get their question in, and then they start kind of going at it with each other oh. and ability to to help us uh, along the process so i love when media members <laughs> think so highly of themselves that's embarrassing <laughs> there's like a level of respect me. that you know like all right you get this one i'll, I'll get the next one yeah. you're gonna get your question in you yeah, know? it's not like we don't hear Pearson saying anything else. Yeah, you know, and once you hear that, it's a wrap. Granted, that's a different situation, but uh, I'm sure they have their their Pearson over there that that monitors that whole thing. Now I know I don't know how it is in like New York where there's going to be just way too many reporters. Like for if there was a new head coach hired to the Jets, not everyone's going to get their question in there. I would imagine there's a ton of outlets, but for Tennessee, like for Nashville, I'd imagine that you can get your question in. I don't know. I feel like there's a decorum with asking questions where the second someone asks like five in a row, way less than that. If you ask 
two, three, people are going to start going, bro. And and there's a there's a hierarchy naturally mm-hmm. in those situations. You know, you got to wait until these three people yes. ask their questions yes. before you slide in your questions. So they they're just uh, there's. There's some underlying beef going on over there, I think. I need to know more. I need to know more. What stands out from our interview with Lance Zerline? He is uh, NFL.com and NFL Network's draft analyst. Just joined us at 1 p.m. If you missed it, it'll be on the Bump and Stacy podcast kicking off hour four. He had some stuff to say about this class of linebackers, things to say, obviously, about Michael Penix, Roma Dunze, Marvin Harrison, about quarterback as an option for Seattle and Grubb's offense. Let's start with what he had to say with your question about linebackers. He said it wasn't an Oh, that hurt my heart. And, and, you know, you can, you can look at it two ways. You can say, all right, well, this isn't a good draft for linebackers, so don't worry about 16. That means that it's, there's going to be a free-for-all towards the end of this thing or in the middle of this thing. And with you not having a second-round pick, there's no real stress to address the linebacker spot. If he is seeing that, then I'm sure everyone else is seeing that, and you're going to be able to find your linebacker later on in the draft. I was just hoping he would say there's somebody who just stands out mm-hmm. who you need to go get. But uh, sometimes it'd be like that, man. You guys all know who I like. I- I've talked about Jeremiah Trotter uh, for the past month or so. So, um, yeah, I hope people feel the same way about this draft and they don't go ahead and grab my boy Trotter and the Hawks and get him later. He talked about a couple of Huskies. Um, I asked him, hey, is there a name you have your eye on for kind of the mid to late first round? And he mentioned a couple, and among them was Troy Fautanu, obviously a UW product. He said he was a tackle with the Huskies, but can see him being moved to guard in the NFL. Might. Seattle consider taking someone to help bolster the offensive line. I know we're thinking defense, but that O-line could always use help. Always. I feel like it's mandatory that you go at the offensive line at some point. But here's the Hawks do a good job of balancing things out, too. I just looked at last year's draft. I believe they had 10 picks. They went five offense, five defense. They hit every single level on offense. They hit every single level of defense, minus the quarterback, obviously. Uh, on defense, they hit all the levels. So um, the thing is, now that you have your offensive line coach, finding a guy that uh, fits what he's looking for at that guard position. And uh, the young man, Troy, from UW is a bit undersized. You mm-hmm. can move him inside. Um, so, yeah, experiment with that stuff, man. There there are a few Pac-12 offensive linemen who are up there, too. You got uh, Fuaga. I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong, from Oregon State. Uh, you have Jordan Morgan from Curtis's. Uh, part of town, bear down, and then you got you bear got down. Troy as well, and then also Patrick Paul with the Utah Ute. So, um, yeah, man, it's um, this is the hardest position to evaluate is the offensive line, um, because a lot of it is who you're going up against. Like these guys can have horrible technique, but they just dominate their their matchups. Uh, so I always lean on analysis from offensive linemen. Obviously, I watch the film and and make my own critiques or whatnot, but uh, it's always important that you evaluate offensive linemen from every angle and get as many perspectives as possible from people who you respect like Big Ray Roberts. Now, this doesn't happen often, but the two of you engaged in kind of a back-and-forth analysis about wide receivers in this class, particularly uh, those top two in the first round with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Roma Dunze. What stood out to you? Um, That it was no surprise that Marvin Harrison Jr., is a technician. When you watch his film, getting in and out of breaks, acceleration, deceleration, he's got it all. Ball skills. He's Marvin Harrison Jr. for crying out loud. You know this man is going to be coached up and ready to go. 
Um, I love the way he spoke about Roma Dunze and his ball skills going up and get the football. Great to hear him talking about the preparation he had during this offseason working with the basketball team to go and get the rock. But then uh, Malik Neighbors, now you don't hear that name a lot Mm -mm. because he's at Louisiana State. And it's SEC school, and we don't really cover that um, those schools often. But, yeah, I mean, top three receivers in this draft, Harrison, Neighbors, and Odunze, you grab any one of those three, whoever gets them, you have receivers that are good to go right now. Also want to give love to Troy Flank, Franklin out of uh, Oregon. Seattle's not going to get a shot at Harrison or Odunze. Uh, both are going to be gone by the time 16 rolls around. They could get a shot, though, at a quarterback. I thought the conversation around Michael Penix Jr. was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like the way not only Bump that he talked about how he breaks down quarterback tape, but specifically what he saw from Penix and what made him kind of fall back in the draft in his mind a little bit. What stood out? It's it's unfortunate some of the things he said about Penix because I think they're true. Against Michigan, that was the first time I saw him be uncomfortable in the mm-hmm. pocket. I saw him throw the football and kind of wince a little bit. But that's naturally going to happen if you've been protected for two seasons. Then all of a sudden, you got uh, – you got the Wolverines that's surrounding you. Best defense in football, Baron. Down. Best defense in football. And they did that against the best offensive line in football, according to some of these experts. Um, but some of the things that we hear about Michael Penix stuck out, right? Injury concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked about the offense. And um, I tell the receivers that I train and I coach, I go, it's our job to make the quarterback look good. Sometimes he's just going to throw it up to us. We got to come down and make the play. He focused on that, too. He goes, look, there are times where Michael Penix didn't have anything and he threw up a prayer and these guys answered the prayer and came down with the football. And that's just trust in your receiver core. And you can put up you does receiving core against anybody else in the country and go play for play. So it's almost like the personnel can help you and hurt you at the same time because your offensive line helped you. But then it hurt to see them struggle in the national championship and you not be able to overcome that. And then you look at his receivers. They helped him because he was able to throw it up and make plays. But then it kind of hurt you because then guys are looking at film and saying, well, he shouldn't have made that throw, mm-hmm. but he's got guys on the other end that can make the play. So it's all the things that we heard about Michael Penix. We figured he'd be maybe a late first round, yeah. second round pick. Um, it just it's crazy to me that. I, I get it, I guess, a little bit, but it's crazy to me that Bo Nix is just regarded so much more highly than I know. Michael Penix. When I can't tell if the injury history it makes the difference it, there. Sure. Both of them are players who have been around, uh, so it's not like Bo is young and Penix has age against him. Like Both of them are, quote, mm-hmm. older. It's got to be injuries. It's it's It has to be, or it just has to be like people start to get spooked. Like You have someone who slowly starts to slide back the way that Michael Penix has, and and people start listening to what other scouts and and everyone are saying and and getting spooked. His con, uh, conversation about Grub was interesting. He said the one of the things that really stood out when watching Michael Penix and watching these receivers quote the concept that Grub that Grub ran was unbelievable. Yeah. Why do you think he said that? Any um reasons, any attack through the air that gets that type of response tells you that it's forcing the secondary to communicate. There are guys crossing, overlapping, starting in tight bunch, exploding out of that. There are so many layers to um, passing games that confuses a secondary. Um, And when I heard him say that, it made me think of Nick Saban when he said it's harder to defend against the pass now than any other time because there are rules that a defense has 
and there are routes that are being ran that go against every rule that you teach your receiver. When I was coming up, man, every route was linear. We hardly had these long developing looping type of routes. Now, man, these guys, when you look at their uh their charts on like say next gen stats, the way these lines are drawn, I couldn't imagine running concepts like that when I was in high school and in college. So the evolution of the game and the talent of these guys on the perimeter and the quarterback position um, makes it tough for these defenders. Is the point to especially attack zone defenders to make someone think that like I'm handling, I'm handing first, it looks like it's going to be, you know, like um, a shallow route. And Mm -hmm. then it's suddenly I'm going to hand this off to this guy. And then like the point is to expose all that, right? Like make the defense play their rules. You should do Stacy. And Curtis explains the stress routes put on defenders better than bump because that was yeah. perfect. Because what guys do is you run into their zone, you run out of their zone, they're passing you off. But now that deep cross, as it crosses the Mike linebacker, he goes, "Okay, my safety over the top has it." Now that deep cross goes back the other way into the right. corner, and the safety who's being held by the goal on the outside is in a bind. Like, what do I do? So uh, there's so much more time to throw the football in this game too. These routes are are written like the way my mom used to write directions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you guys ever have like a family member or a friend that would write directions down for you? Now, now you have like phones that can do everything. But like my mom one time wrote me directions where on a piece of paper she drew like this is Taco Bell. Uh, this is Midway. Yep. This is whatever. And it was like, OK, you turn here and then you loop around this way like that. Those were the directions I was given. <laughs> those are the routes. She's wild. What I need to know coming your way next. Get your question. Any question you have to the Mac and Jack's text line 866-979-3776. That's next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. So many good questions already, but I could use more. So send your question, any question, in to the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776. It's time for What I Need to Know. Brought to you by All Red Heating, Cooling, Electric Bump. What I Need to Know. How far along in a relationship do you have to be before asking to split the check becomes not a major red flag? First things first, um, splitting the check should be a natural thing. There's no asking to split the check. At least the way I get down. All right. I was just um, my wife, our very first date in college. She she just got the bill and I went to the restroom and she got it. Uh, As we started dating, I took care of it only way that she got it is if I was gone and she snuck it and say, okay, I pay for this one. So I don't know how that balance works in your relationship, but asking who's got this one and that you're dating this person should never go down. Me, I'm old school. As a man, I'm going to offer to pay every single time. And even if she offers to pay, I'm going to be like, nah, I got this. Nah, I got this. She's going to have to like sneak Ask it and waitress. throw the card down. Yeah. yeah, that's just, but that's me. I'm old school. I'm not, I'm not part of this new generation. Now, what works for me may not work for thee, but I agree with Bump. I am not about splitting the check I am about just taking turns and this is with friends too like if I go out with friends mm-hmm. um, let's say you know me and a friend go grab uh, a lunch somewhere like one of us will get it that time and the other one will get it the next time sometimes if we order exactly the same thing and we're hanging out we just both throw our cards down in a relationship you kind of just take turns paying maybe one person treats the other person this time and the next person gets dinner the other time now that may not maybe your relationship is totally fine with splitting it Mm -hmm. in which case if if you're looking for an actual time frame minimum a month (laughs) before you start asking before you start asking 
Mm. It depends on how serious you are. I think that's about four dates. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? I can get with that. If you're with your boys, if you're with your boys, hey, I got the drinks today, fellas. You'll get it tomorrow. You're on a golf trip. It's all going to come back. It's all coming back to the same spot. This is what I would do. If you feel like you're paying for dinner and you want him or her, whoever you're with, to like contribute, maybe you do like you guys go to a bar after and you like act like you got to go to the bathroom and you go like, hey, can you get me this? I'll be right. You got, you know, can you get this? Uh So that you're kind of cluing them into like, hey, I'll get the big things, but I'm expecting you to like get like an Uber or drinks. Right. You know? Agreed. You could, you could train someone. Let them train know. Them. Just, just like subtle messages. That's what you women do. You're going to train them. <laughs> just going to train them. <laughs> what I need to know, when the Hawks snagged Ryan Grubb out from under Kalen DeBoer's nose, did he pull a Reggie? Did he pull a Reggie? Oh. Did, oh. did Mike McDonald pull a that Reggie? That Reggie. He tried. He did try. He did try. He did try. Yeah. That's, that's well, a, Reggie tried. Mike McDonald did it effectively. Yeah, that's some Reggie tendencies. That's a, Yeah, For I sure. could see that. I could see that. Um, I'm married. Wife and I share a bank account. It doesn't matter who whips out the card. Exactly. Yeah. Me and my wife make fun of that. Oh, you got it oh, today? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess I got <laughs> it today. It's one of those classic married person jokes. Right. It's great. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming this person is just dating. They're just trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know. When did you guys, you mentioned that Jen paid the first date you guys went on. Right. Curtis, did you ever ask Brenna, do you want to split or did you just one time she got it? Uh, I never asked her to split before being married and sharing a bank account. I picked up. I think I picked up every tab. Maybe yeah. she'll she remembers a time where like we had been dating for quite a while and yeah. like funds weren't exactly uh, flowing for me. But <laughs> yeah, I don't think there was ever a time. I would not recommend asking that. No, I, that's just my advice. What I need to know. Is it acceptable to double back at Costco for a second free sample? Heck yeah. Yeah. Those Heck people yeah. love complimentary. Company. Yeah. yeah. Let me tell you what. If I was putting out samples and everyone's passing me by and I'm just standing there for hours and hours and hours, I don't mind seeing a familiar face. Yeah. You, you just, you know, shoot the stuff with them a little bit. Oh, yeah. How you yeah. doing? Oh, this is awesome. What do you, what What's in this? What else can we make with this? Ask the questions. 425 says split after four dates. I don't think split ever. I think, I think it just, just has go to back happen and naturally. Yeah. You know, like if she wants to pay, then okay. If she doesn't, then all right. And if know. and if you want more of a 50-50 thing and she never ever ever offers and you say, Hey, can we split it? And cause that's really what you want and what would make you happy and she doesn't, mm-hmm. then she's not for you. Yeah. Then that's okay. Not on page 15. Yeah. Um, let's see what I need to know. If Michael Penix falls out of the first round, should the Seahawks get serious about pursuing him? Yes. Yep. Uh, but it all depends, man. I need a second round pick. That determines a lot I for know, me. I know. I was going to say. You are not in the second round. So that means you're going to go number 16, skip the second, and then go for Penix. I think you need a couple picks before you actually entertain that. Well, if the Seahawks say trade 16 down to like maybe 24, 25, then pick up a second rounder along the way. Maybe, but I mean, 16 is kind of the back end of guys who you would have as like first round grades, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what I need to know, who would be on your Mount Rushmore of fun player interviews? That's a Ryan one. Neal. Ryan Neal for sure. Number one. Um, Will Disley is, is a good one. Yeah. Nick Ballore. Oh, he's great. Uh-huh. Um, Miles Adams. Oh, He's got uh, a very deep voice. If we're talking voice. like 
Mariners or former Mariners, Paul Seawald was always great. Oh, Seawald, yeah, yeah, he was wonderful. I'm going to miss yeah. that about him. He was so, and he was so, we reached out to him during the lockout to ask yeah. him about what, on the show. what negotiations were like or like, hey, what can you explain this to us? And he was like, no problem, would love to. What times you got? What yeah. times you need? He was so friendly. <laughs> what I need to know. Bacon strips or sausage links for breakfast? Bacon strips. Bacon, yeah. Uh, let's see. Not going to say no to either. But <laughs> what bacon. I need to know. Do you think they try to pick up the Seahawks a second rounder for trading DK? They're not going to trade DK. I don't think they will either. And if you do, you better get a second rounder and some, whether that be a player or a later draft pick, something. You're not just going to go a draft pick for DK. 206 said Tom Murphy. All due respect to Tom Murphy. Not a fun interview. Yeah. It's just not because he's not a kind person. He was just kind of serious. Very serious. Very serious, very Mm -hmm. intense. My style of interview is a player who can who is willing to talk about almost anything because it lets you it lets you free up the conversation it just makes it for an easier interview i like quandre too man he's got that that subtle grumpiness which i can appreciate uh let's see someone said it's entitlement to expect the man always to pay how is that handled where the real metal get to know you is happening I mean, I think it depends on the person. Yeah, man. Some people are cool with it and some people aren't. But I'm old again, school. I don't think it's always, always, always pay. I'm just, I think splitting can be awkward. I think it's more of like, I got this one. Don't worry about it. No, I got this one. If it's my, a back and forth. If my daughter comes home and says he asked to split the check within the first few days, I'm saying, baby girl, he ain't the one for you. That's just me, though. That's how I'm raising my girl. That's that on that. All right, you guys, that will do it for us today. Wyman and Bob coming up next. Don't go anywhere.